you for tuning into Roll Call. The movie you selected is Enemy of the State, starring Will Smith. Well, hey everyone, welcome to Roll Call. Make sure before this episode starts, you make sure that you are not being bugged, tapped, or wired. Little do we know, we may not have much of a choice in that say. This is the show where two childless millennials are going to gush over movies and follow an actor's journey from their early years throughout their blockbuster hits. Yes, because let's face it, we're all just chasing, running through the street, barefoot in our robe to get to the blockbuster <laughs> to make sure we can go and rent enemy of the state for the weekend we are we are climbing out of um hotel windows <laughs> we are we are do, pulling out all the sense we're gonna get lit on fire for this one um we're gonna, we're gonna do all the high chase stunts um New and definition <laughs> of it's lit <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. But what's up, everyone? I'm Bria, and I, too, would make all the exceptions in the world for Janet Jackson and, dare I say, Lisa Bonet. Uh, Well, Bria, I would just like to say that you are the only woman in this world for me. Well, you (laughs) and Janet Jackson and probably Lisa Bonet and Regina King. (laughs) Oh, my God. See, now that just contradicts what you said lying to me (laughs) no i mean those women are just i mean i could add tons more too. beyonce uh doja cat meg the stallion Mm. (laughs) j-lo oh yeah of course but in today's episode we're chatting about none other than will smith and the 1998 political thriller action action (laughs) action The 1998 political thriller action film, Enemy of the State. So, let's take a trip back to November 1998, and let's get into some pop, 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 pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god, 98, like 97, is just one of those years so much happened so much so that it was hard for me to like narrow it down i found Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff on billboard they have like this timeline pretty much of like the whole year and like stuff month by month so there's some stuff specifically to november but there's some stuff that i was just like some of this stuff is kind of full circle so we got two full circle ish moments here snoop dogg leaves death row records in 98 which he just recently bought the rights to in 2022 so full circle moment there notably he left post tupac's death and all the stuff with suge knight so crazy that Mm -hmm. now he owns death row um that's a posh move (laughs) posh spice and david beckham get engaged in january of 98 Mm. their oldest son brooklyn beckham just got married this month so we old like oh my god <laughs> brooklyn's definitely younger than us but yeah. um I, well yeah if he probably wasn't even born in the 90s if they just got married or engaged in 98 so <laughs> yeah damn <laughs> damn in some savory um well this was just 
I think this is general pop culture, but I just know too that in black circles in the black community, this was like Tony Braxton, diva extraordinaire, super talented, files for bankruptcy. And that was just like, what? That alongside with like TLC, lots of MC Hammer jokes. But I think Tony Braxton and TLC's, more so TLC's bankruptcy opened the window into the shadiness of record contracts and that these celebrities aren't making millions of dollars and then just blowing it. Mm -hmm. They're in these situations where, you know, they think that they're selling Tony Braxton number one, you know, songs, records, they're selling all these records and making all this money, but then they owe their record company for fronting all that money. And we didn't know that. We just thought they were buying too many Gucci uh, silverware. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have not watched her Oprah interview, that is, I won't say it's good in the sense that it's like good, but it's actually kind of like really shitty how Oprah interviews her about it. But yeah. Classic, controversial interview. But on a high note, uh, later that year, Tony Braxton went on to become the first black belle in Beauty and the Beast on Mm. Broadway. So um, she wound up bouncing back career-wise from that uh, bankruptcy issues. But just classic moment. I think I've said this before, but TRL premieres in 1998. Mm. And so I have a little TRL update. Carson Daly was dating Jennifer Love Hewitt for a year. And then he found out on the radio that they were no longer a couple. (laughs) That's a shitty way to break up. (laughs) Especially Howard Stern of all people. (laughs) How crappy is that? Speaking of theaters... And Broadway, Mulan hits theaters, which mm. I didn't know was the jumpstart of Christina Aguilera's recording career with Reflection. That was her first hit single, and that is what led her to her recording contract. So, no clue. I thought she was just, you know, part oh. of the machine. Yeah, I thought that at that point that her first album had already come out. I mean, I knew Reflections was on that first album. Yeah, so she signs with RCA, and then the following year is when her first album comes out. So, oh, no okay. clue. Speaking of legendary music, Frank Sinatra passes away in 98, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's just a little nugget of perspective in terms of, like, we're getting all this new, like, millennial content, but then we have, like, you know, very notable classic legends who are mm-hmm. still alive but also leaving us. Yeah. So we have a number one hit with Lauren Hill's doo-wop, That Thing. We did talk about the miseducation of Lauren Hill last time, and I was just yeah. like, that's an opus. It's an amazing album, which it is. But I did not really know this fact about this song. So this is the first female rap artist to top the chart without any other build artists, like any other features. Mm-hmm. And... Not until 2017, we didn't have another until Cardi B with Bodak Yellow. Holy shit. That's a long time to hold that record. Right? So legendary for many other reasons. But that, I was like, whoa, I learned something today. (laughs) In other hip-hop news, A Tribe Called Quest announces their plans to break up. (laughs) Love Tribe Called Quest. And then, you know, Billboard... They had to close out 98 with some Will Smith news. Will Smith Ooh. releases the $2 million music video for Welcome to Miami. 
two million dollars. Like I, I've seen that video. I'm wondering where that two million went. But (laughs) all the shiny pants, (laughs) the driving up and down South Beach, and also in Will News, Jaden Smith was born in '98 in July on July 8th. He's like his little Fourth of July trophy baby. (laughs) (laughs) But so I have some pictures of Will. Here, he's on the cover of tons of magazines. I feel like this is just going to be a segment from now on with him. I think it's just amazing to me for a man and a black man to be like, so I guess promoted on these things. Like I expect it with JLo and just women in general, because women tend to buy into magazines and whatnot more. So seeing Will on the cover of Nickelodeon magazine in March of 98, so cool. He's on the cover of Rolling Stone. That interview is interesting. Might have to talk about that in another episode. And then he's on the cover of Jet, of course, for Enemy of the State. They have the picture of him running in his draws and in the robe uh, <laughs> on the cover. And then I thought this was cool. On the inside, there's a story about Tatiana Ali um, going to Harvard mm-hmm. and the start of her music career. There's a picture of her and Will with a plaque for her single uh, Daydreamin', which went gold. And I didn't know that she was signed to his production company oh. um, for music. So that was cool. And then we have the top albums in Jet. We have Mr. Beyonce, Nils Carter, <laughs> Jay-Z, <laughs> Man, Volume 2, Hard Knock Life is number one, which, you know, Hard Knock Life was one of those songs as a kid yes. that because a kid is on it, you just like automatically are just like... <gasps> yeah, like, this song automatically appeals to the kids of sampling that little bit from the musical Annie. So yeah. it's like that is recognizable to kids, relatable to adults. It's a great song. That's um, on my pool party playlist. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Miseducation of Lauren Hill totally makes sense. Outcast's Aquimini, which sparked mm-hmm. the amazing track Rosa Parks. Yes. Soul of a Woman, Kelly Price. That's a deep R&B cut for you guys. Mm-hmm. And then number five, I know I said this last time, but Kirk Franklin did something for gospel music. The New Nation Project, which I believe this one is the one that has Stump on it. Just an amazing... Um, gospel act and album and then we have the top 20 singles and do top five my little secret escape classic but very trifling song (laughs) (laughs) how deep is your love drew hill if you play that song like i'm immediately because the opening line is just cisco yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is also a song on the Rush Hour soundtrack, which is another like right. big movie around this time. Um, Lately by Divine. I don't think I know that song. Do Wop That Thing. Wow. <laughs> it's funny because Billboard, Do Wop That Thing's number one. And then in Jet Magazine, they're like, number four. This little Lauren Hill song. But um, The First Night by Monica, another bop. Um, don't get down on the first night. I should make, make a, a bop about home. like not having a one night stand hit and so she hard. was like, a teenager when she yes. wrote that song <laughs> and this Shut is up. also the era of the boy is mine yes it's on this album and it's on brandy's never say never album which you know just amazing yes. but yeah i love monica 
Me too. And then I have a picture of Will with his son Trey at the VMAs accepting award because there are two very iconic women behind him. Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston present him this award. They must have been together that year for Miracles, For Prince of Egypt? Yes. Yes. But if you don't know, this iconic VMA moment is like this skit about them being divas and they both come out and they're wearing the same dress. Mm -hmm. And so they like rip off or Mariah Carrier rips off like one part to shorten her dress and like, look, no problem. And so I put this because this is another kind of full circle moment because uh, Meg the Stallion and Dua Lipa just did this with Donatella Versace. So I was like, oh my God, we're just really, you know, rent cycle repeat. <laughs> <laughs> so in November of 1998, Enemy of the State comes out alongside some pretty classic movies. Um, we have A Bug's Life, which we talked about with uh, comparison to Ants, but you know, classic Mm -hmm. Pixar movie and then I know what you did last summer oh I still know what you did sorry I still know what you did last summer because the sequel already by 98 okay and the sequel has Brandy Brandy was like on the rise baby oh and Moesha is on Mm -hmm. the air by now um I saw her on a cover the cast on the cover of Jet when I was looking for Wills so like Brandy's on the rise um (laughs) And The Water Boy with Adam Sandler, another classic. (laughs) Bobby Boucher, just (laughs) rent-free in our heads. Mama said. (laughs) Medulla oblongata. (laughs) And then, I don't know if this is an error, but a movie called Watching a Movie? There's no poster for it, so absolutely no clue what this is. This is the only movie I don't recognize in this month, but, you know. And on that note, how much money did this movie make for Big Willie? Oh, no, <laughs> well, Enemy of the State was released November 20th. It is rated R for violence and language. It was produced or released through Touchstone Pictures, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, directed by Tony Scott of Top Gun fame. Um, and... The overall budget of Enemy of the State was an estimated $90 million, which makes sense when we are going to break down this star-studded cast. But all of the um, stunts and action sequences, I can see where the money went to. Because sometimes we'll watch a movie and be like, where'd that money go? I don't know. <laughs> um, opening weekend... <laughs> Opening weekend, this movie made roughly just a little skosh over $20 million. But overall, in U.S. and Canada, it grossed $111.5 million. And total domestic worldwide was $250.8 million. Well, I mean... A cha-ching back in the bank. Can he not make... (laughs) I mean, yes, we know that now, but... In the 90s, it was, like, probably just, like, damn, he just keeps keeps on winning. Like, Yeah. <laughs> you know who did like this movie, though, Bria? Who? Was our good friend, House of Lil Rajay. You want to guess <laughs> how many stars? Well, if he said he liked it, then I'm teetering in the three. I don't think it's a four, but the three zone. 
Correct. Lil Raj gave this three stars. So we have a Siskel and Ebert review. They had a cute little, it wasn't like a full show, but maybe it was a little show and they wouldn't like publish this or show this, you know, like after Good Morning America sometime in the morning when people are just kind of like starting their day or getting ready for the weekend. And they would usually review like four, the four big movies that might've been coming out this weekend. So they also, in addition to reviewing Enemy of the State, talked about a bug life celebrity and walking ned devine but i'll start with roger ebert's overall uh general review of this first before i go into the siskel and ebert video review of it roger gives this three out of four stars um Overall, he really enjoys that this movie drew a lot of references to The Conversation, which was a 1974 Francis Ford Coppola film that also starred Gene Hackman, whose character was nearly identical. So in kind of the light of like Steven Sodenberg's out of sight comparisons and stuff, he really draws this, compares this movie a lot to um, The Conversation. And it was... A movie that was also based off of like the government's listening to us wiretapping and things like that. He really didn't mind that the movie was too fast paced. This movie has a running time of two hours and 12 minutes. And for me, that felt kind of long. I felt the true two hours, but Lil Raj thought that the movie was fast paced and that movies have come a long way since movies like The Conversation had come out because we have the new technology adaptation to it. Just a couple of months prior to reviewing Enemy of the State, he had kind of scoffed at a review or of a movie it wasn't armageddon but it was something similar to it where he was poking fun at like scanning technology systems and being able to look at cctv footage of a license plate and being able to like digitize it and pull up a license plate but then he realized that you can just go to this is before google earth of course but you can go onto a website a 1998 website called terraserver.microsoft.com where he was able to see the rooftop of his house house and also see his own license plate of his car that was parked in his driveway. So he's like, you know what, this movie really made a believer of me in terms of what technology is capable of. And then in that sense, it scared him. So I think that this movie had that believability of a viewer of, oh shit, the government can and will watch us whenever they want to and whatever the reason they don't need to really have a reason for that. So um, he does say that by and large, this movie generally works, that the standoff at the edge or standoff at the end was kind of edging towards the realm of ridiculousness. But unfortunately in his review and even in the one with Siskel, he doesn't really talk too much about Will Smith's performance, um, but gives a lot of praise to Gene Hackman, who at that point had already really made himself and established himself in Hollywood, whereas Will, you know, definitely is nothing to scoff at at that point, has good films under his belt and has proved himself very capable and able as an actor. So I wish that he was able to talk a little bit more about that, but talks more about like John Voight and Gene Hackman in his review. Now in the Siskel and Ebert uh, video that's out there on YouTube, it's just so cute to see this 
two guys get together and, and talk about film. Um, but overall, they found that while watching the movie, they did enjoy the scariness of the government being able to track and watch you and listen to you at all times. And that throughout the film that they cared more about the issue that really fuels the story and that leaving the theater, they almost no longer felt safe and said that this movie could really drive that conspiracy theorist over the edge of like, see, I told you so. I told you that they were listening, you know, kind of to the point of Regina King's character of I, I told you that they were listening and who's going to be watching the people that watch us to make sure that they're not overstepping their boundaries. The only thing that they did mention was that since this movie is so fast paced and so jumpy and skippy around in frames and shots, that's just generally Tony Scott's method of directing. It's very similar to how he's done other films, but he said the characters were so hyperactive that they felt that they needed to be injected with some kind of Ritalin to calm themselves down. Uh, but I think that's just old guys being like, this movie was fast and it had a lot of techno gizmos in there, which was really interesting to me and this movie is really going to appeal to a generation of kids who are grown up on the computers <laughs> cut everything else and just keep <laughs> that <snippet. laughs> oh, that's so funny so um, this movie does have appealability to the older generation but bria how many pumps of butter would you give Enemy of the State? I might go high with this. I might give this four. I think, too, like you with Independence Day, this is the Will Smith movie that I have a good memory of. And part of me is like, is this a real memory? Because it kind of makes no sense. But, you know, I'm going to go with it because this is what I think happened. But Rugrats, the movie, came out, and I really wanted to see that, and I notoriously, if you listen enough to the episodes, have not seen a lot of movies in theaters. I tend to watch movies, tend to have found out about movies on TV more than anything. But I remember as a kid being like, I loved the Rugrats, was obsessed with them. So I had to have like made a stink about going to see this movie. And my dad took me. But the movie had already kind of started. And I guess he made a stink of it because he's one of those dudes who if he can get a deal or get like some kind of comp, he's going to get it. So he was like, hey, like the movie already started, blah, blah, blah. Or I don't know if we just snuck into any enemy of the state, but this was the first time I saw movies back to back too. <laughs> but so we saw Rugrats and then we saw enemy of the state, which why would you take like how old was I in 98? I was six. six. <laughs> <laughs> why would you take a six year old? But I mean, hey, he was like, look, you got a movie. I'm gonna get a movie. <laughs> like, And so I remember seeing this in theaters. And so when I would, it's not always on TV, but when I would see it on TV, I'd be like, oh, like, and I think it birthed my love of kind of like thriller movies where the first time you watch it, you probably don't get it. And then you're, you watch it again and you're like, oh, that's wild. I didn't catch that or like stuff like that. Also, the spy kid in me (laughs) just. This does something to me. Like, I just love, like, I was in my Spy Girl bag as a kid. Like, 007, Spy Kids, Agent Cody Banks. Like, Harriet the Spy. Harriet the Spy. Like, 
all the and then on top of that growing up with computers you know pretending that you're like hacking into <laughs> no, it's just so much of it just is just like yes like yeah. so this one skews high for me so it's it's a four for me dog Oh, okay. I like that. And I forgot to mention, but in this movie debuted number two behind the Rugrats movie. So Rugrats <laughs> movie, top enemy of the state. <laughs> See, that has to be a real story then, because mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't even know that. So I'm glad I got that right. It'd be funny if like Bring the Rugrats movie came out like a year later. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. When I was looking up like facts around the movie and stuff, they were saying that the the producers were were, like a little disappointed that it came behind a kid's movie. But like, that's the buying power of millennials, bitch. (laughs) Yes, like my dad, you take your kid to see the the kid movie and then Mm -hmm. hopefully maybe you could squeeze in Enemy of the State. (laughs) I can just imagine six-year-old you with some extra popcorn and being like, just taking it all in because there's so much technology. And honestly, for me, this movie was, I had to really pay attention. And I, for the, I don't want to say for the first time, because that's going to make me sound like I have a problem, but I was stone cold sober when I watched this. And I would look down for like two seconds to write something down and look up and be like, he's on fire. What? like you really have to pay attention so kudos to six-year-old you that's just trying to (laughs) take it all in um i mean i'm sure we'll talk about this more but i just think it made an impression on me in so many ways like i remember like this scene where he um is trying to get the device from his kid Mm -hmm. like i remember like in my mind like cosplaying that in the back of our pathfinder like like oh can i sit in the back mom like in the very back of the you're having a conversation (laughs) (laughs) so and i mean hell that like device thing is like a competitor to the game boys that had not did well and so like you know my game boy being like secret device <laughs> like every you know. time you would slip a new game in there you're like oh this has secret footage <laughs> <laughs> like just that childhood like imagination and you know you see something in a movie and you're like oh we gotta play you know not cops and robbers but like enemy of the state <laughs> like, <laughs> or men in black like you yeah. know that's how the toys did so well hell they could have made toys for this bitch i would have asked for them yeah. but um and like repurposing your toys to play along like mm-hmm. yeah just so like pretending to find bugs in like oh they've tapped us like I don't know. It's just, yeah you find a little piece of like candy in your pocket and you're like oh it's a bug i've been listening to but yeah so just super fond um Aww. what did you think of the um the trailer. The trailer. Okay, but before I do, I will also say I agree with Lil Raj on this one. I'm going to oh, give this sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No worries. I give this one three pumps of butter only because it felt long to me and I had to work really hard to concentrate on everything. Um, I think that this movie might have benefited to just be cut down maybe by 20 minutes, not by much. There were some chase scenes that just were drawn out for really really long and it also just like how he was able to evade the fbi and i but i kind of liked that part too of he's you know will smith's 
character is a lawyer and he's not someone who necessarily works for the government. And so for his character to have been able to outsmart the NSA and those creepy dudes that watch us behind our computer screen. So hi to the FBI agents that are listening to us And all today. my devices. <laughs> Amazon associated. Hello, Jack Black. Thanks for listening to me. Hi, <laughs> Seth Green. Hi, Jamie Kennedy. So... Um, Gary Busey's son. <laughs> yeah. So I would, um, I would give this three just because it felt a little long, but the plot was investing. I really liked the action. I liked the, um, doability that we see from Will Smith in this movie. I, I felt like the action pack of this movie was different from comparing to the last two big action ones of Men in Black and, um, Independence Day. So... But let's talk about the trailer. So one of the most classic trailers starts off, kind of gives the audience a little, it's a it's a fun, interesting tease where maybe it's the red herring where it makes you think that this movie is about one thing, but it's actually about something else. So the classic trailer that you'll see for Enemy of the State is um, starts off in the scene where it's Christmas. Will Smith is a uh, shopping for uh, his family and um, he pops into a lingerie store looking for something to treat his wife with and so the whole kind of first 30 seconds of the trailer is this awkward conversation he has with an employee who apparently just wear lingerie in the lingerie store this is like victoria's secret on naked steroids yeah and... i wrote that <laughs> it's like this is the most male fantasy lingerie store to have ever existed besides victoria's secret because exactly. these chicks who are sales associates in this store are not just peddling the goods to you they're wearing them so they like, model it for yeah, you so she's talking to the, him and he's like kind of looking at her like trying to gauge like she's like oh what size is she and he's like oh well and then like you know for mm -hmm. reference and i'm just like oh this is such a man's like idea totally totally it was like fredericks of hollywood do you remember that store oh yeah that was like that we could go into victoria's secret but we were not allowed to go into fredericks <laughs> it was too risque but anyways after that then we see that there was a switcheroo moment uh a character played by jason lee bumps into will smith in the in the store uh drops something off in his bag and then now all the sudden will smith is under investigation and he doesn't necessarily know why so the rest of the trailer kind of cuts forth where we meet some of the other characters played by lisa bonet and uh gene hackman and john voight and so that's essentially the the whole plot and i like how the trailer doesn't necessarily give the ending away i felt like the ending was a good surprise of like oh that's how they're gonna tie that story plot back in so i liked that they left the mob stuff out of it and kind of left that up to the imagination so i would give this trailer an a plus if i was if i was grading it yeah i feel like it's hard to go wrong with action trailers you know what you're getting into and i feel like unlike some other movies like people aren't super critical of action trailers you know mm -hmm. where they're like oh it gave away the big jokes like in a comedy mm -hmm. it, like oh i saw the big explosion already like nah it's gonna hit different when you get in the theater and you see how it 
you know, you arrive to that big explosion or why mm-hmm. he's running or, you know, how it all ties together. Or like, you know, when people are like rom-coms, like, oh, it was really cheesy. Like, what the fuck did you expect? Like, oh, you know, there's so many explosions and it was just so fast. Like, it's an action movie. <laughs> like, so, yeah, this one is good. And to I want to talk about this, which maybe could become a thing I saw on TikTok. Hey, I'm Bobby. She's amazing. She does um, pop culture and movie stuff. But she's talking about the tropes and movie posters. Mm-hmm. And I never realized a ton of them and no more late fees they've done a few with like rom-com movie posters where like everyone's leaning against each other and all these different posters and but one thing that uh hey i'm bobby pointed out was these kind of movies usually have like this blue digitized aspect to them and so enemy of the state is definitely one of those movies where like the trailer has like this blue tint to some of it and the action sequences and all the like the little Morse code sounds of yeah yes. of the computer. So that just also like extra serotonin. <laughs> like. Totally. Well, th- some people label this as a subgenre of action movie, and they call it a techno action film mm. because the like like your backdrop, what you have, the that overview or um not overview what's the word i'm thinking of like the filter of blue that's over it almost looks as if we're looking at them through cctv footage um i can't wait to make this collage by the way (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be all greens and blues and we continue to see that like up until the matrix definitely is one of those movies but this movie is also told you know, through the perspective of a lot of pieces of technology. It's not really through the eyes of someone else, but it's through the eyes of of gadgets and gizmos and wires and... Um, and And <laughs> dingle hoppers and <laughs> thingamabobs, you know? I got 20, but uh, <laughs> there's th- I, this... I, I like that this era of action film that we get that's so, I think perfectly iconic to this era of time that we get on the cusp of the millennium adapting technology and um really seeing all of what we have as humans ready at our fingertips so simon would you like to summarize a little bit of of enemy of the state you got it. I didn't write this down. Robert Clayton Dean, played by Will Smith, is a mild-mannered lawyer who works in Washington, D.C. He's on the trail of a kingpin named Polly Pintero. Meanwhile, a politician named Thomas Brian Reynolds, played by John Voight, is negotiating with Representative Philip Hemersley about a new surveillance system with satellites. This would allow the government to spy more on its people, but Hammersley declined. Reynolds knows that Hammersley is the only one standing in front of him to pass this bill. So he hires his team to kill Hammersley and cover it up to make it look like an accident or a potential suicide. Little do they know the murder is caught on tape and the taper is chased by Reynolds' team of NSA agents. That character is played by the one and only Jason Lee. The guy must ditch the tape, so he plants it on Dean. They end up bumping into each other while he's on the chase of the NSA team. They bump into each other at the lingerie store. Unbeknownst to Dean, Jason Lee places the tape into his bag. NSA decides to get into Dean's life. This is, of course, all caught on camera. 
And so they think that the incidents must not have been an accident, that the two must have been working together. And so they are on to Dean. They think that Dean is hiding something. They know he's hiding something, but little do they know, Dean also has another tape in his possession that's going to help him in this Polly Pintero mob kingpin case. And so in essence, this movie is based on a switcheroo, a case of mistaken identities, and the rest of the movie is told with Dean um, having to run for his life as his life begins to fall apart. His wife and job are both crumbling and falling apart behind his very eyes, and he needs to find out what's going on. So he meets up with this man named Brill, who has been unknowingly helping him throughout his job by providing other little tapes and security footage uh, pieces for him, who tells him that Dean has something that the government wants. Dean and Brill formulate a plan to get Dean's life back and turn the tables back on Reynolds. Is this movie a 1998 Christmas classic? <laughs> you will just have to find out and watch Enemy of the State. You know what? I wouldn't be mad at watching this at Christmas like people watch Die Hard. <laughs> like I wouldn't either. I thought the same thing when I because we watch Die Hard every year as if it's a Christmas movie, and a lot of people will argue just because something takes place on Christmas doesn't make it a Christmas movie. But I would throw Enemy of the State into the ring if we're going to be accepting Die Hard as a Christmas movie. I think we should accept Enemy of the State. Alternative Christmas movies for adults <laughs> who need a little action. <laughs> there you go. So let's talk about the cast because I think this plays a big role in why Will did this movie, especially after big bangers like Independence Day and Men in Black, which are choices based on his formula of picking movies that have creatures in them and special effects. We get back to a more serious Will, a Will we haven't really seen since Six Degrees of Separation. Mm -hmm. So this cast, mm. top-notch, A-list um, actors and some young, fresh faces that weren't quite where we know them as now. But his partner in crime, Gene Hackman, a legend. A legend. <laughs> a legend. New word. Legend. <laughs> a legend in and of himself. This is the movie that I really know Gene Hackman for. I'm sad to say that I, I can't think of anything else that I've seen him in. And now I'm going to look at IMDb to be like, oh, wait, I've seen that. But mm -hmm. he has a ton of well-known movies. And even though I haven't seen them or, you know, don't know of them. He's just one of those people that I feel like you know that their career is storied or respectable, you know, just based off of like seeing him in one thing. Like you're just like, damn, that's probably what do you think about Gene Hackman as Lyle Brill? I thought he played a really great nerdy conspiracy theory man. Or I, I what what would we call those like an isolationist, you know, people who like live by themselves off the grid, surrounded by loads of technology and uh, security systems. Um, I'm curious to see what other movies Gene Hackman's been in. I know that name, and I know he's been in obviously a lot older films. He's still alive, but he doesn't act anymore. He was born in 1930, so he's about 91 years old. 
but he was, oh, he was in The Royal Tenenbaums, so I would know him from that Wes Anderson film, but he was in The French Connection, Unforgiven, The Conversation, which I talked about in Roger Ebert's review, but he has, I mean, his character in The Conversation is essentially the same in Enemy of the State, but I liked him. I liked that he was cranky and that basically is just a, he was what, hyperglycemic, so basically he just <laughs> needs to eat every couple of hours or else he's going to be super cranky which i can definitely relate to they could have threw him in a snickers commercial you're not you when you're <laughs> <laughs> i really liked him and i think that it's a good balance again with like him and will like he's will is more straight in terms of like not so comedic in this uh, role mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. other ones like men in black with tommy lee jones but it's like a similar kind of chemistry there oh yeah totally with the older like slightly older person it, it's not but it doesn't feel so much of of a buddy cop movie because oh, no. yeah. when they first met each other like brill really wanted had nothing to do with dean and they he was like please leave me alone leave me out of it like you already got rachel killed like I don't want to be a part of this. And um, <laughs> sorry. Um, no. <laughs> but they, but you know, they do end up teaming up at the end and become, you know, dare I say, friends. So I, I liked their dynamic duo, and I liked like how you said with Will Smith that even the funny lines that he delivered in this film were very straightforward almost kind of reminded me of tommy lee jones in men in black where tommy Mm -hmm. lee jones was funny but like said it so deadpan that you were like uh is he serious or oh no he (laughs) just told a joke he's yeah he said it funny yeah that's a good um that's a good note for will and you know your fave legendary u-turn actor john voight and his no spitch string this time. No Dr. Pepper, but yeah. John Voight as Thomas Brian Reynolds. Damn you unrecognizable. <laughs> totally. And Anaconda. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know it's two movies, but I, I want to say Blood and Wine. I'm like, no, he's not in Blood and Wine. Of course he's in Anaconda. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's crazy because we have him in those roles where he plays these very eccentric characters mm-hmm. and, like, you know, accents and all this stuff and then in this role he's like as straight-laced as possibly we could get like business nsa dude suits slick back hair the gold-rimmed glasses like yeah so yeah. probably wear suspenders <laughs> like totally and i have a note about suspenders but i do too <laughs> <laughs> but i i i i wouldn't say he was unrecognizable but I think just by circumstance, the movies that we had seen him in thus far, at least just for this podcast, have been a little bit more eccentric. But he tends to play these kinds of roles of like slimy politicians and and stuff. So it's not, I think this kind of character may come, I don't want to say natural to him, but he's definitely played characters like this before. So I thought he was a great asshole because it's not necessarily the government that's the enemy here and well john voight arguably is the enemy and the bad guy he is the enemy of the state he is the one that's trying to pass this bill and allow us to lose our privacy um and he as we see as the plot unfolds will stop at nothing to you know get to ruin Will Smith's life and destroy his family's life and ruin his reputation all over 
of videotape, he'll murder someone. He doesn't care. He goes, oh, you don't like this, Bill? I'm going to inject you with this and kill you <laughs> in front of your dog. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about um, the ladies of the film, Regina King. So Regina King plays Carla Dean, Will and Robert Dean's wife in this movie. And I mean, Regina King at this time probably had just did like poetic justice, how Stella got her groove back in the black community. Lots of black people grew up with her on 227 as a kid. So very storied actress, but I feel like this role probably helped with like a switch and recently too she's gotten into directing and she's won a ton of awards in the past few years for her acting so definitely deserving and giving her flowers but like I think this is like a point in her career where people and her were like skewing serious maybe or seeing potential in her in that way um I think Will had to fight for her to like be considered for this role and Mm -hmm. uh Tony Scott's said that he initially didn't really see it but once he put in his mind that you know she would wear the pants he's like okay yeah this could work like with will and regina as uh the main couple so i really liked her performance i think it's small but i think there's some great moments in there that you get nuance from her where it's not just like you know the naggy bossy wear the pants wife like when he is on the run and he comes back and is like look listen to me like this is what's happening they have a nice like moment where I feel like helped balance that uh dichotomy of like you know her being the one in the relationship that quote-unquote wears the pants I felt like her. her character didn't have it wasn't just like one kind of mode switch that was turned on there was duality there was some softness sensitiveness and then also some toughness as well and so i i I liked that they showed a bit of a range yeah it's gonna be small but it was bigger than some of the other like wives that will smith has had in the past and in other movies that he's been in that we've watched so far so I didn't think necessarily that her character needed more screen time per se, but the time that she did have, I thought had enough range for it to not just be so like one dimensional. Yeah, like she economized her screen time in terms of giving what we needed and a little bit more and, you know, kind of being mm-hmm. like, I like this Carla lady. Mm-hmm. Um, She's smart. Then- and then we have Rachel F. Banks, played by Lisa Bonet, who just, I mean, it's hard to talk about her after Regina King because I do love Regina King. But, like, Lisa Bonet is just one of those women that just has, like, most people in a chokehold because she's yeah. just beautiful. She's, like, ethereal. Like, she's mysterious. Yeah. Like, there's just something about her that you're just immediately like, oh my God. And to see her in a movie, because most people know her from the Cosby show, mm-hmm. and to see her in a movie as an adult and uh, and to have her in this kind of serious, but, you know, again, small role is a treat, to be honest. I kind of am sad that she didn't really have a big movie career, you know? She's definitely done some notable stuff, but, like, I'm like, damn, we missed out a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you think about Lisa Bonet? She's just cool. I, she just has one of those really unique, cool looks that 
I envy and I think that, you know, resonate with everything that you said about being ethereal and, you know, just so unbelievably pretty, but also a, a great actress as well. I didn't think her character had enough justice on the for this film. I mm -hmm. think it would have been really cool if her and Will Smith got to pair up more and maybe do have some of those action sequences be together. I mentioned this earlier, spoiler alert, Rachel dies in this movie and she was killed by someone in the NSA who is trying to quiet her because she knows that she's close to Will. Their character, Rachel and uh, Robert Dean had previously dated when they were in college. The plot has revealed that. And so there was some kind of skepticism between Carla and Robert where she didn't really, she trusted him, but like didn't really necessarily like that they got together from time to time to talk about work. And then certainly the NSA used that against Robert to really turn his family against him to kind of, they kind of made it seem as though they were having more of an affair than than what their relationship actually was. And of course, because they talked about like private client information, he couldn't really necessarily like cover that up or really explain too much about their the nature of their relationship. But anyways, I felt that Rachel was smart and very a very capable person. And I think it would have been cool if they had worked together more like her and Brill maybe teamed up more and then the three of them all worked together to try and like save Will Smith's ass by the end of the movie but I didn't really think that her death was necessary and it kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah I didn't really think about that. I, well her and Dean had an affair so that's why Carla oh. has an issue with them seeing each other because she's like you already double dipped back and now you're seeing her and you're not telling me so mm -hmm. I'm supposed to believe that you're not fucking her again okay that doesn't work <laughs> so there the skepticism is warranted and too like i just would never trust anybody around lisa bonet <laughs> but i i didn't think about her i feel like her death was like unfortunately like unnecessary to this story plot just because i feel like it motivates brill to help dean and to also Dean figure shit out because shit got real. Mm -hmm. He did see Jason Lee's character die, but obviously Rachel's closer to him and someone in his life. And so he and the fact that they tried to set him up like they had stolen his clothes before. And so they had them like strewn around her apartment and like some of his possessions as if he was staying with her or had been there. And so I think that flips the switch in him. I do think it would be a completely different movie if she was along for the ride and not in a bad way like that would be fun too like that's an option that I'm okay with but I wonder too because the way she knows Brill is that her dad and him worked together mm -hmm. in NSA and so they made like some pact like if you get out you know take care of my family and so I get this sense that she's probably really shielded from like a lot of the stuff that Brill knows and knows how to do. So it'd be cool and helpful if that was the way the movie went, if she actually knew a lot of stuff herself. I mm. feel like he helped her in ways, but like she didn't know exactly what he did or, you know, how and stuff. And it'd be cool if she like was like his little penny to his Inspector Gadget or, you know, <laughs> where she knew stuff too and helped out and like stuff like that. But, you know, 
a good small cameo that was pretty impactful to me. And then we have a bunch of other very familiar faces, which just kind of blows my mind that all of them are in this like little crew together. But a lot of the NSA agents are played by Jack Black, Jamie Kennedy, Seth Green, and mm-hmm. then... <laughs> I knew he like looked familiar, but I wasn't sure why. But Jake Busey, who is Gary Busey's son, mm-hmm. is also one that is gets a decent amount of screen time. So it kind of fits with where they were at in the 90s. You know, they're in their 20s. They look like dudes who would be on the computer doing this kind of stuff, probably. Yeah. So. And in the there's a special making of Enemy of the State that you can actually find on YouTube. It is it's about 30 minutes and they purposefully made or they purposefully casted those guys as to to be younger because they say believe it or not most people think that, you know, government agencies or the people that are watching you and listening to you are like older balding dudes with the black <laughs> horn, you know, the guys yeah. that look like Gene Hackman with the horn-rimmed glasses and stuff, but they're actually they could be anyone. They could be college students. And so that was really purposeful when they were casting for this movie and all of those actors were went through like a couple of weeks of specialized training with the technical department for the movie so that they knew how to properly hold the technology, talk about it, look at it, so that they looked as convincing as possible when interacting with all of their little pieces of equipment. Yeah. And Tony Scott, I feel like helped in terms of like wanting a lot of that authenticity, like in terms of doing research and knowing a lot about the stuff in that Will Smith talks about the technology and how, you know, you see stuff in movies and that shit's real. And it's like 10, five years ahead of like what we have in in real time. So that's crazy to think about, especially given the times we live in where we have computers in our pockets and Mm -hmm. on our uh, arms. So watch that by all means. It was fun hearing them talk about like Jake BC talks about like how much they had to run. And I was like, damn, I never thought about that when you're making an action movie because he's like, you know, Tony wants to do like multiple takes. And so it's like you just ran down this like block and then it's like, okay, let's go back and do it again. And it's just like all this constant like action and running, which, you know, it's fun, but, you know, it's very tiring. Like it's the most running I've done on a movie ever. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, also Jason Lee, who is uh, dies early on, but you know, a little snack of uh, actor as well, young Jason Lee running around. There's a lot of people in this film who I felt like could have really taken off in the late 90s, early 2000s, but, or they were like just about to take off, which I just thought was really kind of perfect how they were casted. Jason Lee, you know, he started off as a skateboarder and then like went into the acting world and stuff. And I... I don't know where he would have had more success. When you ask me, acting-wise, Jason Lee was in a couple of Kevin Smith films, but I think more famously, a lot of people know him from the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, which are <laughs> or My Name is Earl. Oh, oh yeah, wasn't that a TV show? Yeah. Okay, so that's probably residual-wise something that's probably made him the most money. But like Seth Green... You saw him everywhere around this time. Austin Powers, Idle Hands, MTV. He was just like a very young, 
funny, quirky person will do. Jamie Kennedy ends up having more of a like stand-up comedy comedian uh, career, but not. But it's short-lived. Jack Black obviously took off way more after this movie was made. So it's just really kind of fun to see all of them in these teeny tiny little minor roles. But it's, I felt every time I was watching, or a lot of times when I was watching this movie, it was the Leo actor's point, like, there's like so many recognizable people. My biggest Leo moment was um, Anna Gunn of Breaking yes! Bad fame. She played, she played John Voight's wife or something, right? Yeah, she played Emily Reynolds. But um, Breaking Bad, if you don't know the actress's name, it's Skylar uh, Walt's wife. But like, I was like, is that Skylar? Like, and she's younger. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know the those moments in watching older movies when you see like familiar people, but they're younger, are just like so, just like, oh my god, like you know, they're not they're not always who we like are introduced to as whole careers and lives before we may see them but Mm -hmm. um, that's the that's the gist of like at least notable people in the cast to me Uh, Mm -hmm. anyone else you can think of or any other note no that's pretty much it cool let's talk about mr will smith yeah so this is not the first action movie that will smith has done but i feel like out of all of them so far this movie required the most amount of okay maybe the most comparable movie i would have to this so far would be bad boys Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of explosions running jumping ducking Uh, dodging throughout the movie but I felt like this really kind of escalated it more since he wasn't also doing it side by side with Martin Lawrence like I felt like he was really carrying the majority of some of these stunts and I really enjoyed that the seriousness of his of his character you really saw some like nuance ways of acting we see lots of different range of being very emotional and this movie is r-rated i would say probably mostly because of the cussing they gratuitously use the f word a lot which is fuck i guess we can (laughs) but yeah he i i thought that for coming off of I guess, Men in Black, which was more of a comedic role. And then even Enemy of the State, his role was smaller compared maybe to like Jeff stuff. Oh, you so. mean Independence Day. Oh, did I say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and Independence Day, his role was a little bit smaller, but then he shared equal screen time in Bad Boys. So I just, I just thought that this allowed, he truly did, he truly was the star of this movie. I mean, arguably you can say this co-starring Gene Hackman who doesn't even appear until an hour into this movie. Um, And then John Voight, which will cut down, the movie cuts over to him every now and again, but I really feel like this is Will's movie and he really carries the majority of it. And I just thought he did a really great job. Yeah, I I had a note when um, he's meeting with the mobster guys early in the movie. That scene really shows like his natural charisma and kind of like funniness, but like it's crazy how he's able to switch really easy from that to being like really serious. I feel like after that point, like we got 
the more serious side of him be- bunch of shit pops off and i didn't think about that until you said it but like his comedy in this is more straight instead of like haha funny it's like mm-hmm. oh dance <laughs> like or like oh like kind of funny where it's like right like you know, it's funny but laundry, it's serious lingerie story shopping for your wife no i was shopping for me you know sometimes i like to cross dress on the weekends and <laughs> You'll never realize how much a pair of edible panties is, makes you feel really sexy, you know, like. <laughs> Which was improvised. So, really? like, yes, apparently that was improvised. So he can't really completely shed his goofball self. But the way he, you know, that could have skewed very, like, you know, over the top, depending on how he delivered it. And he delivered it in, like, you know, the right way to be, like, dead panty, sarcastic, funny. And um, even when like he's getting fired from his job and I I got a little triggered a lot of the Oscars because he's like. I sent that video over. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, spicy. Because they're like asking him about his relationship with Rachel. And he's like, you know, do I ask you if you jacked off, you know, this morning or blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, yeah, I don't because none of my fucking business. And I was just like, oh, my God. I felt that my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. (laughs) Yes. So, so like that was just like it. That could be a very comedic conversation in terms of like what they're talking about, but at the same time, like the delivery, just like I don't know, just he he understood the assignment. Yeah, he did, and I think a lot of that has to do with the background character of his role. I think. If he wasn't a lawyer, if he was just a regular person that maybe was an accountant or had any other job, then maybe his character might have been a little bit more funny. But then that would have completely changed the tone of this movie. I really think that Tony Scott was going for something that was serious, something that was going to make people feel like, uneasy to think about the government listening and on our conversations and tapping us and bugging us and all of that. So I think that too much comedy would have overplayed the actual message of the movie and it might have ended up have being lost to a lot of the audiences. So I yeah. liked that it wasn't, it was funny without being too funny. Um, and this was, like you said, since six degrees of separation probably the most serious movie we've seen yeah it's like funny in that like nervous a lot of serious shits going on is happening but there's something that is kind of funny but you're like oh like it's still serious like yeah and even gene hackman like the line where he um they're looking at or they had hacked into the senator's hotel room or something and Mm -hmm. his aide or secretary you know very monica Lewinsky, which 98 was Mm -hmm. happening (laughs) he's cheating basically and so they're watching the footage of the camera they put in there and he's like oh i don't think you're old enough to watch this (laughs) like you know little little cheeky moments like that to be british very cheeky you know with the comedy i I think, too, Will is very grown by this movie. He's, like, 29. And I think even even in Men in Black, he has this boyish quality to him. And I don't know if that's just the comedic part of him, you know, because it just skews, like, you know, younger. And 
being funny in those kind of ways sometimes but like this is like grown man will smith by now like this is the will smith i can foresee in you know pursuit of happiness and i am legend stuff like that i robot whereas bad boys independence day men in black you know, mm-hmm. those are wills. I can still picture like him on the Fresh Prince by now, like suspenders mm-hmm. and all, and overcoats and stuff. I'm just like, hey, okay, well, like, okay. um, so I think that also attributes to like at this point in his life, I think was just the right time to kind of make that shift. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And now you and I had some thoughts on suspenders. Do you want to share your thoughts? Let me see what I, well, I remember that I just, I was just thinking, like, you know, we talked about what he wore in Men in Black pre his Men in Black suit. And, you know, it's very street hip hop, but shiny 90s, like, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I love that. It, But again, it harkens me to, like, Fresh Prince. Like, he would wear Tim's on the Fresh Prince. That makes sense. He would probably wear those ugly motorcycle-looking pants on the Fresh Prince. But this, we're getting... Men in Black, we get suit will, but it's, like, very uniform, very plain. Mm -hmm. This, we're getting, like, tailored suit will. Like, we're getting tailored overcoats, suspenders again, which just made me think of, like, the West Wing and, like, Mm. you know, those those shows where, Mm -hmm. again, you're in, like, D.C., Baltimore area. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it did something. (laughs) I was just like, oh, like, you don't see that often anymore. (laughs) You don't. And... What I noted was, with the exception of Larry King, I just find... (laughs) (laughs) The Suspenders King. (laughs) The Suspenders King. I find suspenders on men, like, kind of attractive. And it's a lost art. You don't really see it much these days. I ironically tried to wear them as a fashion statement in middle school. And, you know, in the days of low-rise pants, it, it... it helps a little bit trying it to did. keep those pants from uh, revealing too much of a butt crack. But uh, I love suspenders. I I wouldn't be mad if they came back. I think so. I think there's two types of suspenders. Not to go on a <laughs> suspenders tangent, but I I too I didn't realize that I too had a moment with suspenders because and I think really this is just like a spirit day thing because mm. of nerd day being such a big right. thing like come our generation so a lot of us hearkened suspenders back to steve urkel Mm -hmm. and his nerdiness in terms Mm -hmm. of that and maybe like revenge of the nerds and stuff but like so you have like those suspenders you know where it's like you're you know pulling your pants up high waters you know they're tight maybe they're colorful um and then you have suspenders that like these suspenders that are giving you like law and order and Larry <laughs> King and you know, are you Wesley. serving nerd? Are you serving law and order? What are, <laughs> and then how, wait, we still got another category of suspenders. We have work wear suspenders, you know, mm-hmm. like people, like guys who do logging and stuff like that, where they've got the heavy duty suspenders with the cart hearts and like the flannels. And so maybe a pair of Tim's. <laughs> yes. Pair of good work boots. Red wings, you know. Some like plaid. Yes. I'm it thinking looks- of the brawny man, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch like logging shows on, I don't know if it's on Discovery Channel or like one of those channels, but so yeah, there's a variety of suspenders and these are like the 
the classy um, Fifty Shades of Grey kind of <laughs> suspenders, not the Urkel. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they're sexy. They're not, like, nerdy and, like, cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay, I agree. And then, and then, like, the workwear ones are, like, magic mic suspenders, where you're, like, woo, yes, construction worker, take it off. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I also, talking about fashion moments, though, like, I love a good, uh, like, winter coat. So, like, he, his coat game in this movie was strong. And, too, his beanie game was also mm-hmm. elite. I was, like, woo, hello, I like this. And I think, too, I I remember, like, pictures of him, like, I want to say, like, Bad Boys 2, like, in the 2000s of him, you know, those type of beanies again, and, like, the clear shade, the tinted shades that are now trendy again. So, Mm. uh, yes, Will looks looks great in mostly anything, really, so. Yeah. But he wore a beanie to, like, one of the premieres and, like, a puffy vest, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so 90s and casual, but. Yes. Well, wait till next week because I do declare that there's going to be some like 1800s versions of suspenders of West. Uh-huh. See, workwear. Some See, gold rush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking non-will, but speaking of fashion too, I wear yellow tint glasses for work because I sit in front of this insanely yeah. bright uh, fluorescent light in my cubicle. But Seth Green's yellow glasses, like... Beautiful. Like, and they were everywhere in the 90s. Like, they those were. blue, red. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Depp still wears glasses like that. Um, oh, yeah. Bono. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, they're like gamer glasses essentially yeah. now. But, you know, I, props to Seth Green for his little fashion moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Him mm-hmm. and the glasses and the spiky hair. <laughs> yes. So much hair gel <laughs> holding that up. Um, what else? Oh. This isn't fashion, but, like, I did notice his BMW because I was, like, <laughs> that is also the Pierce Bronson 007 BMW. So oh. that BMW, tiny little special place in my BMW owner heart. And it adds to the, like, lawyer appeal of it all. And I think they had a Range Rover when, like, him and Regina were driving and they were talking about Daniel Yeah. Madison. And I was, like, that is, like, my... I don't know if I've been brainwashed by movies and TV, but that is like the elite, like we've made it car combo is like a BMW and a Range Rover a la the OC as well. Sandy Mm -hmm. Cohen had the BMW, Kirsten had the Range Rover. So anything else though about Will specifically, and we can talk about other moments in the movie that we liked or stuff that we had questions. Um, not so much. I, you know, like I said, the physical stunts and chases that Will went through for this movie are really, we're just, I, w- I don't want to say different from his work so far, but just elevated more to, um, to, to more of that practical effects. You know, he, there's a moment where him and Gene Hackman are escaping again, another NSA chase um, and they kind of get they're driving Gene Hackman's car and they're driving in between two like oncoming trains and their car is partially on fire and again that was one of those moments where I looked down for two seconds and looked back up and was like Will Smith is on fire again because there was the other oh, like yeah. fire that broke out in the hotel room which that scene was really funny to me because when he goes in he pretends to be like a 
uh, service manager and like was asking the couple in the oh. room how they like their stay. And then they were saying that like, oh, your clothes are bugged and you have to like take your clothes off and stuff. And so he starts to unrobe and the the wife who's sitting on the bed was like, oh, <laughs> like a little excited because she thought like he was a stripper. <laughs> and the husband's just like, and do they look like they were like an Asian foreign couple? So like it doesn't, it didn't seem like they may have understood English that well because they yes. just seemed like what's going on and like no right. comprehension. And right. so the reaction of her seeing him take off the clothes was like, oh, okay, this is what it is. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I get it now. That's And what I think is. she tried to grab, like, some money from her. She husband. did. She started grabbing some singles. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so, again, like, the, it, it wasn't as sticky, like, slap-sticky funny, but that's a subtle, like, funny moment. But then, again, like, immediately jumps back into the seriousness um and you know there was some good practical stunts in there you know lighting people on fire in a movie is not as hard and it's still dangerous you're always working with fire but it, of course like their their clothes and stuff are going to be soaked in some kind of like fire retardant type of material um but yeah will really did you know have that um or like go through with that and i loved also too um right when he comes out of the hotel room and he's in the robe it's that the cover that's on the jet magazine um mm -hmm. and he goes into kind of like an overpass tunnel and narrowly escapes getting hit by a car and then like props like hoists himself up into um like up a ladder and then like lifts off a manhole cover and then escapes back out onto the street like it's really it, it it lowered my suspension of disbelief just a little bit because that wasn't his background and training of a person. I was like, this is a really smart lawyer. Kind of like what Gene Hackman said, like you're either the smartest person or the dumbest person I've ever met <laughs> uh, or just lucky, extremely, extremely lucky. Yeah. So I was a little bit like, this movie just felt like so fast paced and so in your face constantly that it did feel a little overwhelming at times. But even with that being said, it's still, I still felt like Will carried so much of this movie and made yeah. so much of it work. And allegedly Tom Cruise played in this, so. I, and that would make sense too. talk about a person that does his own stunts, whether you know, to his own safety or not. Even when people say, no, Tom, you really don't have to do that. And he's like, no. yeah. So I think obviously we really enjoyed his performance, but let's get into some of the things about this movie. Maybe we were just like, hmm, or just like, oh my God, I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. um, for me, initially, I'm just like, you know, their whole approach to getting the tape was just all wrong to start mm -hmm. off with like because at one point they go to his house and they're like oh hey can we talk to you and he thinks it's about um the guy that jason lee plays who died and he's like mm -hmm. oh well i don't really have much to say about that like i didn't see much and he's like no it's about something else. and there's they have all this technology that they figure out the drop and stuff that happens and that something was placed in his bag. And I just feel like it's also like very obvious that he didn't know that happened, you know? Yes. So they go in with this attitude of like, 
Well, they do ask him, like, well, you know, maybe he gave you, like, maybe there's something that you don't know he gave you or something. And I'm just like, but you guys know that he did give him something. So, like, just, like, be like, look, we know he dropped off something to you, maybe unbeknownst to you, but we need to search or, like, we need to look for it. Something. I just felt like it was just, like, they knew too much to be, like, okay, well, let's play it safe. Maybe he's going to lie to us. Like, you know he has it. Or you know that, like, maybe he didn't know that he had it. So, like, just be upfront with him. And then he would be like, oh, shit, I didn't know yeah. he dropped something. Or, like, if they played the video for him and, like, see, like, he dropped something in your bag. Did you notice anything? Like, then you would be like, okay, you're lying. Because clearly, we, like, we see it. So, obviously, you're in on it. Okay, great. Now we can fuck up your life. Because the level that they went to to, like, get this thing, but also fucking destroyed his life. I was just like, there had to have been a better way. But but it also didn't help because they said the tape. And so Will thought that they were talking about the, like... The mafia. The mafia. The mafia tape. And so when he later goes to see Rachel again, he's like, dude, ever since you gave me that tape, like, my life's got, like, really fucked up. Like, what's so special about that tape? So... As a viewer, it's a little frustrating because you're like, I wish I could just jump into the screen and be like, no, they're talking about this tape. Your tape is actually not the one that they're after. So it the the, they made this entire plot work based off of not a mistaken identity, but an old switcheroo and it's lost on both parties, both on the NSA and um, I don't want to keep on calling them by their actors' names. So like it's lost on both the NSA and like Reynolds, played by John Voight, and on Dean's characters that they both know that they're talking about a tape, but they're talking about two completely different things. So yeah, that was a little frustrating and infuriating. And the only part I believed the satellite stuff, uh, you, you know, oftentimes when I talk about movies review that this movie is brought to you in part by <laughs> this movie is brought to you in part by beep, 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 and like satellites just roaming around <laughs> and like Morse code, like the technology, technology sounds is what this movie is brought to you in part by. But there's that moment where Jack Black's character is, um, pulling up the video surveillance footage inside the lingerie store. Yes. When, when, oh and God. they take, they're like, okay, stop that. Rotate that 360 and zoom in and then flip it this way. And it's like, they're making this shitty surveillance footage look into this, looking like this high def VR image. And that's like the one thing that you can't do like that kind of technology does not exist yes we can read license plates yes we can try and like clear a fuzzy image but you cannot rotate something 360 degrees around and then try to like clear up the image and then zoom into the package and then oh see look how the coloration here and he's different as if there's a videotape and stuff (laughs) that was yeah that that part i was just like that is just not possible (laughs) like probably still to this day because to the way that they like achieve that it looks like 3d modeling yeah and like like that's creatable absolutely but 
in terms of like pulling something from video footage to then like be like observe it in 360 degrees like that's not gonna happen yeah (laughs) so i was just like uh lost me on that one (laughs) like Mm -hmm. um but i'm trying to think of other technology moments that may have not have been like a hundred percent i think he definitely in 2022 you know better than to like call from a payphone. Mm-hmm. well there's no payphones, but you know better than to call somebody hopefully <laughs> yeah. if you're running from people you know because mm-hmm. now you don't even need to get a hold of someone's phone to probably tap it like it's just you know if you know how to hack and or if you can get access via like your cell phone carriers because that tends to be most people's phone so like when he called um carla's like office to tell her friend like and then they wound up tracking him to the convenience store i was just like ooh, yeah probably wouldn't do that but mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm trying to think what else there uh, just was a lot of i don't want to say confusing technology but there there was seth green and jamie kennedy's van that they were watching and then there was like jack black's office which was i think where like john voight's home base was and then the two of them were talking to each other so that you had like basically your eagle eye view of everything that was happening and tracking like okay going in to this store and then going over here so with all of these people watching and tracking and knowing exactly where you are it just kind of dumbfounded me again like how he was able to go through so many days in a row without actually having to be caught and so this movie reminded me a lot of the fugitive um which was another tommy lee jones movie and harrison ford where harrison ford was framed for murder they thought that he had murdered his wife and he was convicted but his um like prison bus ends up being overturned and so he escapes with a couple other prisoners and so tommy lee jones is like this uh like kind of hound dog investigator man that's like really good at tracking people down and they do say that in the making of this film how the fugitive really inspired a lot of the chase scenes and stuff but that it to me it just felt a little like frustrating that no one was able to actually like capture him Not that I wanted him to, but like, you know, there's the scene when they got after Gene Hackman's like base and fuck it. I'm just going to call them by their actors because I don't care anymore. (laughs) But like Gene Hackman like blew up his own base camp after they escaped because they knew that they were onto him. They tracked him down through that cell phone or the uh, phone booth call. And then the two of them like dodge in between those train tracks. And then that's it. Like, they're off their trail again. It's like, well, there's the helicopter watching them. Like, you can call more squad cars and back up to, like, surround the train track area. And well, then... No, they, they were tracking them after that point with the helicopter, but they went under a highway pass and they stole that Mercedes. And that's when they lost. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess at that point they had gotten rid of all of their tapped bugs and stuff but again you wouldn't think that with all of their technology that they're watching that they would see like oh look this car drove under this underpass and stopped for a minute and then then made its way out like hmm that's suspicious let's track that car yeah that's when the movie just probably has to move (laughs) again you're right and at that point it was kind of wrapping up towards its grand finale anyways which 
I really liked the ending. That's kind of what saved it for me was that they do end up being captured and they are taken into the surveillance van where they had been watched this whole time. And Will kind of has this genius plan last minute to say, okay, you want the videotape? I have the videotape. And he takes him to the Italian restaurant where the mob boss was. And again, it's that classic thing of mob boss thinks that Will's talking about the videotape in question that they had talked about in the beginning of the movie. And the other team thinks that they're talking about the murder videotape and neither of them are making the connection that they're talking about two very different things. And then it it ends up in this big shootout, which the filming of that was chaotic to me because it was so shaky. It just felt like someone was like doing this the entire time, which really bothered me. But yeah, I thought that that was a really clever way to bring those two storylines in together and end up making it really work. Because as soon as they walked into the restaurant, I was like, oh, like as I think as an audience member, you get kind of excited of like, I think I know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the ending, but I also, like, I don't know. I feel like it was abrupt in some ways, too. Like, the end ending, though, was, like, very Charlie's Angels to me in a Mm. weird way because, you know, he's, like, at home and the TV is showing him, obviously, on a camera of some Mm -hmm. sort. And so he's like, "Uh uh-oh. But then um, it cuts to, like, footage of Brill, like, on a beach or something. And then mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you need to put some uh, <laughs> you need to put some sun on those things or something. <laughs> so that was, like, a good cheeky, like, goodbye. Like, like I'm watching you or, like, I could mm-hmm. watch you or, like, mm-hmm. hope you're doing good. But how it all wrapped up, yeah, was, like, really satisfying and stuff. But for the most part, like, my suspension of disbelief was pretty, like, well-maintained, especially considering that this movie is 1998, bordering 30-ish, well, not 30-ish, 20-something years. I feel like, too, especially with what we know about technology and stuff now, like, it really holds its own. So, shall we yeah. talk about that? Like, totally. Hold up? Absolutely. Could this be remade? Absolutely. And I kind of am surprised that it hasn't been remade with newer technology, newer gadgets. You know, I wonder if something like this might be in the works, but companies like Apple or Google would want to, you know, stop it because they don't want people to know what we already kind of know that our phones track us. I mean, you can talk about Haribo gummy bears and my phone's going to pick that up. And the next thing I know, then I'm going to be seeing ads for Haribo gummy bears on Amazon or whatever. Like, huh, you might like to try. Haribo gummy bears. Because I do know in the making of this movie that the NSA like wanted nothing to do with it and were really kind of pissed that they were (laughs) sticking with this storyline. So a lot of the filming for this took place in Maryland and not necessarily Washington, D.C. And that was kind of their way to get around it, which makes you think they were probably onto something. But (laughs) I think this movie could definitely be remade in 2022. (laughs) And I know that there are conspiracy theorists out there or at least paranoid enough people out there that would be fearful of a movie like this kind of coming out and it definitely opens up a bigger discussion so i wonder if adults leaving this film in 98 were like wow do you think that that's a wall and like that 
really happens, but it did happen in after 9-11 with the Freedom Act. And, you know, ever since then, I think our nation has become extremely fearful of the another potential of another terrorist attack and 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 big brother became like a huge like uh what do you call those things like you know words that you know just start turning up in the zeitgeist all the time be careful big brothers yeah people used to say that shit all the time like be careful what you do big brother's always watching or they would just chalk that up to um yeah those like fluke in incidences of like oh yeah i said this one thing and then now it's like all coming up in my feed of like oh big brother like watch how you send off your emails big brother's reading them and it's now like, it's the fbi in, yeah in your the fbi agent in your camera watching it's exactly <laughs> it i wrote that down in my notes and that's that's really what jack black's character reminded me of of like the fbi agent who's assigned to all of us and i'm like oh simone's on her fourth bowl of reese's puff she's really deep down in this john benet <laughs> crime spree tonight like girl you need to wash your hair it looks like you haven't washed it in a few days as i'm like (laughs) yeah because like they at some point um have cameras in the dean household so we see like carla regina king in the kitchen and stuff Mm -hmm. and it's just like mundane stuff but you know they're hoping something happens they're really hoping he like turns back up but i can't imagine watching like footage of that and Again, like when people say the FBI agent and stuff, I'm just like, fortunately for me, I'm not one of those people doing anything of interest to watch me for a very long time. So, I mean, I hope they enjoy seeing me like lay in bed all day and watch Netflix or like tweet. (laughs) He's like, oh, she's watching Made in Manhattan again. I'm going to watch with her. I love this movie too. Um, or maybe they watch us when we record the podcast and they're like, ooh, I'm getting the scoop before the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If that's the case, then you better buy our merch, bitch. If you're going to be <laughs> reaping the benefits of our show before everybody else does, you can support our podcast. Visit Redbubble. <laughs> this this movie does remind me, too, of um, I saw Minority Report in theaters when I was a kid. Wasn't that and- Tom Cruise? Yes. Okay. And it's very futuristic technology, uh, government entity or something mm-hmm. stuff. I should rewatch that because I don't really remember. That was another double feature for me because I saw Eight Legged Freaks and that, I think. So, wow, what a combo. What, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I definitely think that this could be remade easily for sure. And then... I think, though, that it's amazing that this holds up, like, where it's not, like, super outdated or it doesn't feel, like, current. Like, I feel like they wouldn't have to change much to update it. The only thing that would really be obviously different would be, like, the cell phones. There were even cell phones at this point. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And there were computers. It's, It's different than, like, probably if we watch the... The French Connection or the um, what's the conversation, the, other, the conversation where yeah. it's like stark. Like that one was more just. So I haven't seen it, but like the like I did watch some clips and stuff. That one's more of like the phone tapping stuff. We'd have the phone board, the wire board, mm-hmm. and like plugging into different stuff and listening through there. So obviously that movie shows it's it's time. But I think that if someone watched this, besides the cell phones and the computers, there really wasn't that gave it too much away to show its age so i still think it totally holds its own in today's age what you eating what you drinking while you're running on the run (sighs) you know 
This one was kind of tough, but Will did get something taken from his house when the NSA raided it and bugged it, and he kept on talking about it, and that was his blender. <laughs> he goes, some people do yoga, some people meditate, I blend. <laughs> and <laughs> I think because it was so important to him, I would say my my cocktail would be some kind of a blended drink, some kind of a boozy smoothie, maybe a pina colada. But and that and that is a snack and a drink, both in one. That is because if there's a pineapple wedge in there, boom, snack. <laughs> what about uh, you? On the fly, I just keep looking at, you know, this glorious color behind me, and I really want a blue drink, but I also, like, want it to be on fire, so I don't know how that works, but I'm a visual person. I'm not as diligent as Simone in terms of looking up drinks or knowing alcohol combos that would work, but it would (laughs) need to be a lovely shade of, like, this blue, Mm -hmm. and then at some point, you know, just a little, like, fire moment for, like the explosions of it all and whatnot so oh and it'd be cool if it came in like a glass where it was like etched with like computery code stuff that would be cool see you got your souvenir cup (laughs) snack wise i i don't off the top of my head i can't think of a snack but maybe like a granola bar since he's on the (laughs) run like (laughs) you know something quick something easy (laughs) like oh edible panties (laughs) There you go. Edible panties. Oh, oh like a little oh. candy necklace. I was going to say that the drink could come with edible panties and you put it in the drink and it like disintegrates and adds to like the flavor. <laughs> of the that's a that's a side like secret order. You're like, oh, with the, mm. you know, with a side of edible panties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. But yeah. Oh, I, I do have one note. Sorry. Oh, OK. I am Will when Carla is like watching the news and talking about the privacy issues and stuff. I'm like, you know, let them people worry about it. Like, and then I thought it was super boss move of Lisa Bonet's character, Rachel, to when when they meet again post like his life starting to fall apart she's like you know i'm in love with a married man like you know it's not and then he's like well i mean and she's like what makes you think it's you and i was just like oh she had him sweating like he was in the corner like what like there's nothing i can do about that (laughs) what makes you think it's you oh i was just like oh my god she's such a boss because i too i was like oh my god it's not him like it's so believable it's Mm -hmm. not one of those mistresses where she's like completely just hanging on to this dude and she's obviously very capable of pulling other dudes so i loved that aspect of that yeah it seems like will needed her more than she needed him to be honest and for that reason she didn't deserve to die but agreed Oh, and then, sorry, and then the line where he's like, this is all happened because you made a fucking phone call. Like, that, it stood out. Because it's in the trailer, too, I think. Like, mm, mm-hmm. like this is all happened because you made a phone call. <laughs> like, <laughs> just one phone call, which makes me think of the movie, uh, is it cel- self- Cellular? I don't know, it's with... I think it's called The Call. Where oh, he's no, just- Phone Booth. Phone Booth, yeah, he's yes. he's in a phone booth the entire time. And then there's the movie with Chris Evans where it's like the cell phone and he's on the phone with right. Kim Basinger and yeah, he can't yeah, yeah. hang up. Ah, 
tech movies. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I'll shut up and we will wrap this thing up. Put some Morse code on this bitch and satellite out. <laughs> I'm going to try to find something that sounds like that or just straight pull it from the movie because who cares? Thank you for listening to this week's episode and to the people who've stuck with us so far. Please come back for another episode of the Backyard NSA uh, <laughs> side show of Inside the Actor Studio. We're hacking you, Mr. James Lip. <laughs> but seriously if you like us enough to stick around take another deep dive down this imdb rabbit hole as we time travel to the wild wild west where we're gonna talk about will smith in the 1999 movie wiki wiki wild wiki wiki wild wild and we're gonna have some special guests on the show i'm not gonna spoiler alert it yet so tune in uh there will be a few folks who will be joining bria and i next week so we're very excited about that and on that note if you've got nothing better to do go figure out a theme to go hack and watch a bunch of movies you've never seen i'm your host simone subscribe to this blessed mess leave us a like if you are into it i'm talking about you jeff my fbi agent if you're going to be listening you better subscribe i thought you were talking about jeff gold <laughs> oh you too jeff listen have your people call my people we'll make it happen and i'm your host bria and it would be awesome for you to wipe off those buttery hacker popcorn fingers before you start typing away and give us a review follow us at roll call pod on instagram tiktok youtube and my favorite twitter and if you feel like it you want to rep the podcast you want to buy a j-lo shirt and then eventually maybe some wool stuff go check us out on redbubble get some merch but yeah help an indie podcast out and on that note this has been another episode of